What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John. With me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing on this BC Broke Night? Oh, BC Broke Night. Yeah, so John and I have been talking a lot lately about well lately by lately i mean like what within the last 45 minutes about he's like yeah. I, I sent him i sent him a youtube video of this dude playing american death metal versus swedish death metal and all all john got out of the video was oh of course he's playing a bc rich to which yeah, i was like what's wrong with bc rich and you're like uh i don't know um i just don't uh, i don't think anybody plays bc rich or like that's not anybody's like go-to guitar and i was like i disagree heavily and then i didn't provide any examples and then he provided some examples and uh yeah it just turned into this whole thing so apparently bc rich is broke like they're gone but then they're back but they're gone like another company just bought them for brand recognition i think is what happened yeah, I don't know. Um, a, a quick uh, Google, because uh, the only joke I kept making was the only one I know that's a quote unquote professional musician that plays BC Rich is Carrie King. And the first thing I searched up when I uh, was looking for the artist roster for BC Rich was Carrie King left and went to Dean. <laughs> So even Google was telling me that essentially I was right, uh, that there are no artists. Um, I did look on Instagram because I figured, you know, Instagram is usually a really good place for uh, businesses to advertise who is using their products and so forth. Uh, I did see that Zoltan and Chris Kale uh, are sponsored by BC Rich. Uh, apparently, Joe Perry of Aerosmith is, which is interesting. That uh, is interesting. It, yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like a BC Rich person, but hey, maybe they're trying to get into that classic rock demographic now. Uh, I guess, yeah, because a BC Rich, like unless you're playing death metal, I mean, what's even the point? Yeah, right. Uh, and Lita Ford was another big one uh, that I saw, which makes sense too. But yeah. it was a, it was a thing where uh, Dark Funeral. <laughs> Ended up commenting because there's a photo of like some of their artists, uh, some of the roster that they have. And he he commented, why are you still using a photo of me? But you booted me from the artist page. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought that was so fucking funny because, uh, that, again, that kind of speaks to the demographic of who I think is using them and, and the fans that probably would be playing those guitars. But uh, interesting side tangent uh to start the episode uh, a fun little joke um but this episode's guest is dave shapiro co-owner founder of sound talent media group and sound talent group uh a podcast network and basically a uh, an agency that has uh, a, a just a triple-headed monster of uh talent of like i think over 85 years collectively in the industry and uh some of the bands that you've seen on this show and probably have gone and seen in arenas and so forth and, and big uh big club tours and so forth uh go look at their roster it's fucking incredible and as of when we're recording right now dave just announced the relaunch of velocity records which has an impressive roster uh on opening day basically uh you have thursday they're going to put out two live recordings i think they're going to re-release some old stuff too uh you have eve six uh who just put out a new song today as of when we're recording the resurrection of drugs uh craig from chiotis's uh, other band dead american which features cove from uh, formerly of Seosin, and uh scary kids scaring kids and a whole shitload more so uh for people who are our age and probably listen to a lot of the same bands velocity records is probably going to be your new go-to for a little bit of that nostalgia trip yeah absolutely i mean there's so much going on all of a sudden 
Yeah. Like we, we went from, we went from like industry being shut down and it still kind of is that, or at least that's what I thought. But now all of a sudden all these things are happening. Yeah. I definitely think it's a, a thing where I think people are just tired of waiting. I think they were tired of waiting for the quote unquote perfect opportunity to do anything. I know with bands we've seen, we're not putting out a record until we can tour behind it. Now, you know, like one of the bigger ones is every time I die, all of those dudes when they would go on podcasts, they'd just be like, yeah, our record's done. It's been done. We're not going to put out any of the music because it's not fair to the music that we worked on to put it out and then not be able to support it. And you're kind of like, I get it. But then now music's coming out. Like, I think they're three singles into the record at, at this point. And it's one of those where I assume the record's coming somewhat shortly. Um, so I think people are just tired of fucking waiting. Um, you know, they, they watched the last year essentially go by not being able to do anything. So it's like, you might as well have something that you're fucking stoked on and worked hard on and can actually release. So, um, I think Dave probably falls into that same place. I know that's essentially, you know, they launched sound talent group and then the pandemic happened. So they essentially shifted and kind of made it a podcast network. Uh, yeah. and it's one of the ones where I think most of the shows we listen to are on that network. Yeah. I mean, a, a good majority of them for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I didn't even really, I don't think throughout the year, I don't even think I really even realized that, that a lot of them were grouped together like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's really cool. Uh, it was really cool getting to, getting to talk Well, for you anyway, uh, <laughs> to get to talk to him and, and kind of, uh, pick his brain on, you know, I, I liked, I liked where you guys kind of got into the whole, like, this is how you, this is, this is the kind of, these are the kind of things that happen where you have to shift. You have to all of a sudden be like, well, I really want to do this one thing, but the more I put into it, the more I realize it isn't working and I have to shift over to doing something else. And that, uh, that, that resonates heavily with me. I mean, especially with like how I did an audio podcast for three years and then started realizing that wasn't enough and I'm shifting a lot of my stuff over to video. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a thing where when I listen back to this and I'm not really going to edit too much out of it because I'm kind of starting to find the beauty in what Dewey uh, does now that I've had him on, you know, last week's episode and just kind of really studying what he does after we've had conversations where he's like, you can't edit a conversation like if you and somebody else had a conversation and you call them an asshole like you can't edit that. <laughs> No, you cannot. <laughs> and so the more I you know, have thought about it, I've kind of approached the interviews from Dewey and probably leading forward. I know the next this one and the next one are definitely off the cuff. No real rhyme or reason to how we're going anywhere. Um, I definitely think I need to get a little bit better about thinking on my feet because I over uh, explain things. So I'll apologize for that now. I'll own up. I could have uh, gotten to my point a lot earlier. Um, so that's something I'm working on. Um, I think I need to take a page out of Dan's book. Uh, Dan's a little more, more into the free flow kind of thing. And I think he's got that down a lot more than I do. So, uh, I guess it's the 2021 is all about is it's growing and then sharing each other's notes to, to be more like each other. The right, big part yeah, anyway. right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my whole thing. I'm, I'm more of a free form jazz musician when it comes to talking. Uh, <laughs> whereas, uh, John, John's a little bit more composed, <laughs> you know, uh, if there's a better way to put it. It's just so much talk about jazz lately, man. I just, uh, I don't know. I still don't really like jazz, but uh, supposedly I, I, I'm supposed to. Well, I mean, I'm smoking a jazz cigarette, so. Well, I mean, you got that going for you. Yeah. Um, all of that aside, let's get into this awesome conversation with Dave Shapiro, and we'll talk to you on the other side of it. See you on the flip side.
cannot sum up a man's life with a bunch of numbers on a computer screen. We all need to look into our hearts and go, do I think this dude is going to die in a few years or not? Is old Leland here going to fight off a man with the last name Reaper? First name, who goes by the last name Reaper? First name Grim? Or will this base jumping, crocodile wrestling, shark diving, volcano losing, bear fighting, snake wrangling, motocross racing bastard stop? And the answer is no. <laughs> That's so good. It's just it's one of those things where it was like when he's listing all of the things, I was like, <laughs> I was like, if uh, the the sound talent uh, group doesn't use this or Dave doesn't use this as a pitch, like he's like to why a band should come or talent should come to the agency, then it's like, <laughs> y'all are fucking up because that's the pitch right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I should make that the yeah. pitch. What, what movie is that? I know that movie. Along Came Polly. That's Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, fucking sure. great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's kind of as good of an intro as as there probably will be. Um, <laughs> you know, for those that maybe don't know you and what you do, it's it's more of kind of your ancillary passions that kind of uh, have always intrigued me. Because you know, flying like you fly planes. Um, I think you can do helicopters now. I think I've seen, and I think yeah. you said you had just got uh, elevated, graduated to a different kind of pilot's license for something else. I don't know necessarily if it was a bigger uh, aircraft or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've been flying for 16 years now. And uh, yeah, I kind of like always continue learning. Like I, I love aviation. So I, I always keep going to school, even though I'm I'm also a flight instructor myself now. So like and I have been for a long time, I guess. But um, but yeah, like my last the last um, new rating I got was the ATP rating, which stands for airline transport pilot, which is the rating you need if you're going to like fly for airlines and stuff like that. So um, that was something, a goal of mine that I always wanted to do. And uh, yeah, I finally did it about a year ago now, um, right before the pandemic, I finished that. I did it in a citation jet. So I'm also rated to fly citation jets now. And yeah, pretty, pretty cool. So that was, that was a lot of fun. You know, it, it's something that's kind of been interesting about that. Uh, and as you said, you know, you're, you're someone who kind of, is an instructor at this point, but you're still learning yourself. Do you feel that that same kind of thirst for knowledge while still being at a level that most would kind of, you know, probably say like, Oh, here's kind of where I'm going to like, I don't need any more knowledge. I'm an instructor. So like, I basically am at the highest level of, you know, knowledge I can be, which I don't think you ever stop learning. So I think that's horseshit first and foremost, but some people would say like, Oh, if you're an instructor, boom, you're done. You, you reach the plateau and you're good to go. Do you feel that because your your thirsted knowledge applies in that realm, do you feel that you are able to apply the same thing in, in your actual day-to-day job? Yeah, I, th- I think that's dead on. It's like I think that if you feel like you have learned everything and know everything in one particular you know facet of life or whatever, you're probably either uh, either have an ego and are wrong <laughs> or – you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing that anymore because I feel like things get boring if like, if you've kind of done it all, you know what I mean? Like, so I feel like continuing to reach new, new heights, new milestones, doing new things in life, um, achieving new goals, all those things I think are, are important. They give you reasons to wake up every day and things to try to go 
and strive to be better at, you know? Do you feel that that is something that allows you to be successful in your business? Definitely. Um, I think with my business, which is, you know, it's a bit um, like broad, right? Like I used to be, you know, like started off getting as just an agent and then I started Velocity Records. I managed producers for a very long time. Um, I'm a partner in uh, Absolute Merch and Taste of Ink, which is a merch company that um, that we manufacture merch for a lot of big bands and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think, yeah, I feel like I'm always, um, you know, trying to achieve that next level and trying to experience new things um, and trying to get better at what I do. You know, I remember when I first started booking, it was like, man, if I could just have a band that could sell out 200 cap rooms, you know what I mean? And then, and then I got that and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I had a band that could sell out 500 cap rooms? And then I, you know, got a few of those and then it was like, okay, what if I, you know, could book some bands that could sell out like thousand cap, like House of Blues type rooms and then, you know, arenas. And I experienced that and, you know, and you're always, you know, I feel like you should always be striving for for these new kind of milestones because you can't be a good agent if you're not right. Like if you, if you're not thinking of your artists with that bigger picture, if you're thinking like, Oh, I'm, I'm content with where they're at. Mm. You probably shouldn't be their agent. You know what I mean? Like you need to have a vision on how to get a band to that next level in order to come up with a strategy and try to be thinking long-term and outside the box. And I think that if you're not doing that, you know, um, you know, that, that artist probably deserves better, you know? I think it's just interesting when you, because, and I'm going to parlay into this and, you know, maybe this will make sense. Maybe it won't, you know, very much like Dewey. I kind of just kind of find my way uh, through some of the questions I have or what I've been thinking about, but you know, I've recently been kind of going through uh, some therapy over the last couple of weeks for the first time. And so something that has been kind of diligent in that for me is, you know, kind of identifying, um, like boundaries and so forth and and kind of trying to learn from my past, learning from other experiences I've had with other people and so forth. And, you know, something I've kind of thought of and realized is, you know, it seems like at times you can be stagnant, not necessarily because of anything of your own, but kind of just the people you surround yourself with. If they're not really motivated to do anything, it's kind of easy to, to fall into that lull as well at times and not realize you're even in one because it's just what you're used to at that point. It becomes your, your day to day. And so it was kind of interesting in thinking about, you know, your job where I feel like maybe there are people in the industry that are like, I get this check. I don't necessarily like, you know, I have my band and they do this. I have a good roster and it makes me blank them out. And they're maybe more financially driven versus goal driven. And mm-hmm. so at that point, it's sort of this thing where I feel like as if I were the talent and I were to see someone who is habitually doing not only like achieving goals and setting goals in their profession, but then going like, okay, so I'm a pilot and then I want to go do this. And then I want to go do this, that, that I would be more inclined to be like, I want to go fucking work with that guy. Cause he's not content just with what he's doing. He wants to do more and above and grow as a person. So if he's going to do that for himself, what will he do for us? Like, you know, talking about, you know, you kind of being in a term I kind of came up with is you're in the business of investing in people. Mm-hmm. And so if you, can't invest in yourself why would i and and have success with that why would i believe that you can do that for me yeah no you know i've never really looked at it in the way that you just articulated that um but i think that makes a lot of sense yeah you know i've never really thought about like 
how an artist may perceive the things I do outside of my job relating back to them. But that was interesting to hear you kind of articulate it that way. <clears throat> and I wonder if that, yeah, I wonder, you know, if, if some of the artists I work with do consciously think about it like that. Um, that's really interesting. But uh, yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think it's weird when people don't have that attitude, right? Because like, what, what are you waking up for every day? You know what I mean? Like what, like, what are you working towards? What are you trying to achieve? Are you just getting up, going through the motions, going to sleep and doing it again? Like, I don't, you know what I mean? What, what's the, what's the purpose of that? You know? Yeah. I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of the thing. Like you said is, uh, you know, it's really, it's kind of funny because it's like going to therapy. It was just like, you know, I had uh, an event that kind of triggered something where I was like, man, like I is kind of an empath, uh, take on a lot of shit. And then I don't have anywhere for me to really get rid of it on top of my own stuff. So then I was like, ah, like I had an event a couple of weeks ago and I was like, I just, I think I need to go see someone finally. Um, and it's been kind of interesting because, you know, we start learning about how to change ourselves so we can have better relationships with ourselves, with other people and so forth and managing expectations and managing these relationships and it kind of, you know, a big word and a big phrase for, for me lately has kind of been boundaries. You know, I think I've something I've not been good at is setting boundaries and really adhering to them. And that really kind of made me think of, you know, how I do a lot of things. And I think very much like you, not to the extremes of you, but very much like you are, where it's like, I do this. And now I do another uh, podcast with a co-host of mine. I do his show. And then, you know, I'm into sports. I'm, you know, play video games. I work on the podcast. I have a full-time job. I'm married, like have some whatever yeah. of social life you can at this point currently. But it's how to set boundaries to where you're not basically burning yourself out by trying to be everywhere all at once and give yourself wholly to all those things. And knowing how much of what you do between base jumping, you know, going on these trips, doing all these adventures, flying, learning about flying, having a business, being married, you know, doing things that you're into and passionate about. How have you found that you've been able to, to traverse that and not have any burnout in any one thing while also, I guess, not letting any one thing slip either? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I feel like, honestly, prior to the pandemic, balance was like a really big struggle for me, um, especially with like, like with my marriage and stuff. My wife's awesome and super supportive of everything I do. Um, but, you know, she she wants, you know, time with me, right, which is, right. is fair. And that was really hard to balance prior to the pandemic. I think the pandemic has helped me um, to ha help me to understand the importance mm -hmm. of, of that balance and having to sacrifice some places, uh, you know, in order to <clears throat> maybe uh, prioritize other places, but, you know, really trying not to put too much on your plate. Right. And, and that's a hard thing for me. That's something I always struggle with because I always want to do new things. I always want to, you know, like we were talking about, like, a you know, kind of achieve these different milestones and like continuing to, to work towards new goals. So for me, like, that's always been a real struggle is like figuring out, okay, like something's got to give and I don't want any of it to give. So what's it going to be? I try to fit it all in and it, you know, it ends up with me like not sleeping much and blah, 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 staying up late, doing, doing all these things. And um, so I think now that I've, been forced to have some of that balance due to the, the pandemic. Um, I think when I get to the other side of the pandemic, I'll I'll be in a better place suited for that. And whether that means, <clears throat> you know, I have to kind of like take certain things out of my life, take a little less off, you know, uh, like take a little off my plate, 
um, to have a little less on my plate, um, or maybe it's, you know, hiring a little more staff to get a little more support in what we're doing so that I can free up some time in certain aspects of the job, you know, whatever. But those are all things that I've been thinking about a lot. And that's been, you know, that's honestly been a struggle for me for my whole adult life because I always want to do so much stuff. Um, So, so yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. I think that's something I actually struggle with pretty, pretty regularly. I think it's just kind of funny because like for me, sometimes I'll use this podcast as almost like Marin-esque where I'll kind of be going through something myself and I'm like, okay, let me throw my fucking problem on somebody else. Let's see if we can work on it together to get through it. And, you know, for a while, like when I had quit my my full-time job to kind of do something part-time and earn money kind of at my discretion and when I wanted to work uh, doing like shifting all that kind of stuff so I could focus more on the podcast and the opportunities that seemingly were coming to me at that point. And it became a thing where it's like I became so money oriented where I'm like, okay, I'm going to fucking work like a 12, 15 hour day because the money's coming in. I'm doing good. And maybe it'll allow me to like fuck quote unquote fuck off for a day to like now I can spend like this day with my wife or I can spend it doing podcast shit all day like and it was really interesting that when you have no structure you like no like I gotta go punch in from this time to this time and then these hours are now essentially mine barring you having anything else going on it was really weird how the lack of a schedule made me find more of a schedule it's weird how you just you want your life to kind of be very routine and then fit into some kind of a box even if you don't want that right yeah yeah 100% man I think that's human nature, you know, and that's how you get ahead is to really kind of put things, you know, into some sort of structure. Like you have to have some sort of plan, even if it's, you know, like a subconscious thing, right? Like you may not actually be sitting down saying, all right, every day between like three and five, I'm going to do this or do that. But ultimately you kind of end up in a place where you maybe do have, you know, some structure, even if you're not viewing it that way. You know, or you're probably not getting ahead. <laughs> what, uh, you know, because something I think that's interesting to me and kind of going back into sort of be like kind of betting on yourself or going in on all in on yourself, you know, was I think obviously if you have a career in what you've been doing for a certain time, the fear of the fear of it going away or necessarily pre-pandemic uh i don't think really ever is in your mind because you are very much like this is something i know how to do i'm very confident in what i do and what i can bring to the table but i am interested in in kind of hearing you discuss uh if there were any trepidations from you know being at uta to basically starting your own thing yeah no that's a great question um there were no trepidations in terms of I knew for a fact it was what I wanted to do and I was going to do it. Um, So I didn't have any reservations about actually doing it, Um, but I did have concerns about the outcome. I, I I was at a place where I was so unhappy Mm. working at UTA that the outcome, regardless of the outcome, I knew it was what I had to do. Mm. Uh, But I did have concerns about the outcome, you know, were, all the artists going to want to follow? Were they going to want to be part of that bigger corporate agency and have a problem with it? Um, were they going to have an issue with the fact that, um, you know, maybe I don't represent some of the same bands I did there because I knew when I left, I was going to be walking away from certain, certain bands. Cause that was another big part of my decision with leaving was not only leaving, but I decided I wasn't going to work with people I didn't enjoy working with anymore. Mm. So I actually 
some of the largest bands I worked with, I, I, I had called their management and said, I, I'm leaving UTA and I don't want to work with you anymore, essentially. Um, and so I didn't even give them a choice to come with me. So those were, so those were a lot of things that like, they were big, big changes in my life. And I definitely wasn't sure how it was all going to unfold. Um, I knew how I wanted it to unfold, but you know, some of those decisions were out of my hands and, um, but you know, I just knew that like for my mental health mm-hmm. and for the longevity of just like my happiness and my, you know, my life and, and everything, it was something that I had to do. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. And, and fortunately I was really fortunate that pretty much all my artists were like, you know, we're, we're represented by you, not UTA. Like we don't care what your email address is. Like (laughs) you're the guy that's been there for us. So wherever you work, like that's great. And, um, you know, I, I knew, you know, certain artists were going to take that approach, but I didn't know like pretty much all of them would. And that was really cool. Um, you know, I think when the three of us left UTA, myself, my two partners, um, you know, between the three of us, there was about 150 bands and like 148 came with us. So, you know, of the ones that we wanted to come to bring with us. And that was, um, yeah, it was really humbling, man. It was, it was really awesome. And, you know, here we are two years in and, you know, regardless, the pandemic aside, you know, it's, it's been great. Um, you know, we're definitely looking forward to getting to the other side of the pandemic. That's obviously had a monumental impact on our business, but we'll, um, you know, we're going to get to the other side of it. It's just a matter of when. So yeah, just doing our best to hang in there until we get to the other side, you know? I think the interesting thing about what you were just saying is, is kind of realizing that for yourself, that when you're basically starting this new chapter, starting anew, that you were willing and identified that basically I don't want to just take everyone I've amassed. I want to take the people that I enjoy working with. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing that a lot of us sometimes don't think about uh, in our lives. Like there are people where, you know, you see the, like I'm purging people on Facebook. Congratulations. You made it through the Facebook purge. If you can read this kind of shit, but I think, you know, collectively we, we, like I said, sometimes don't assess those things where you're like, what's something that it may be, beneficial to me in some capacity whether it be financially whether it be emotionally whatever but maybe in the grand scheme of things isn't really something i need in my life because of x y or z and it's in addressing those not addressing those things i think actually that sometimes causes unnecessary i don't want to say drama necessarily but you know just this this feeling where you're like like when you get the phone call from someone, you're like, oh, fucking, I hate this yeah, person. I don't yeah. And then you would like start going like, well, why, why am I, why do I continually feed into this relationship? Why am I fostering it when it doesn't really add any value to my life? And it was kind of cool to hear you say like, there were bands that like, you know, were maybe putting in words in your mouth, but basically, basically a band that maybe is like, I've had them on my roster for a while and they're great for what they do and they make me money and and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just not into them. And you know what, moving forward, I only want to be passionate about what I'm passionate about because that's going to be an extension of me, of the brand, of the bands, and it's going to be putting our best foot forward. And I think that's something that a lot of us across the board don't do enough of. So I, I think that's very commendable that moving forward, you identified that as something that you and probably Tim and uh, was it Mike, I think is the other one, uh, were the ones that probably did the same thing where you're like, look, this, moving forward, this is how we want to proceed with our company. Yeah, you, you know, it. I'm not going to say it was like a uh, 
easy decision. And it was like, oh, like I've come to this conclusion. So I'm going to do this. It took me a lot of years to really like I knew I was really unhappy in in certain relationships. I you you really articulated that well. I, it would be the type of thing where like those people would call me and I'd pick up my phone and see who it was and like instantly like every cell in my body would just frown. <laughs> you know, like, like oh fuck. And there were people that I felt that way about that I'd been working with for a decade, you know? Wow. And when I left UTA, I mean, I was leaving because I was unhappy there. So I, I, I had just finally, after all those years, come to the conclusion of, well, if I leave UTA because I'm not happy being there, but I still represent some of these people that I have to deal with that I'm unhappy working with, I'm not really ripping the bandaid off. I'm just pulling it off halfway. You know what I mean? And so I finally came to the conclusion that it's like, it's all or nothing. Otherwise, like I might as well just stay at UTA and continue doing what I'm, you know, doing it the way I'm doing it. And so, you know, that was what I, what I ultimately did. Um, you know, ironically enough, it wasn't the artists. Um, there were just some managers that I, that I worked managers of the artists that I worked with that, um, you know, I really uh, had just, you know, bad experiences with. And, um, you know, it, it was, it just got to the point. It, uh, you hear this and it's a very cliche phrase, like there's no amount of money that's worth it. And, and I, you know, I obviously have heard that phrase many times in my life, but like it never had an actual like meaning to me until I got to a place where like I was making like pretty good money on certain artists, but I didn't even want the money. Like I was like, this, it doesn't matter how much more money this artist continues to make. Like, like it's just not worth it. And I actually had some perspective to put to that phrase. And it was like, wow, like, yeah, there is no amount of money that's worth this. Like I just can't wake up every day to a job that I used to love and like dread taking these phone calls. That's like the opposite of why I got into this. So um, ultimately, you know, I just had to make those changes and fortunately it did exactly what I wanted it to. It's been, you know, life-changing. It's been way better. And I've really enjoyed the job again in the last two years, again, pandemic aside um, have been, you know, awesome. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, pandemic aside. <laughs> yeah, definitely excited to get the other side of that. But is it, I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but you know, thinking about, you know, your move to kind of basically doing something for yourself and on your own, when you think back to how long you have been in this, this career of yours, given how very um, self-motivating is not the word I necessarily want, but like basically in a lot of the other things that you do, it, it's very, I'm going to do this. And you, you just kind of set your mind to it and you go do it. You know, like to me, when you get to the top of a building and you're like, all right, I'm going to fucking do a double, you know, moonsault off this motherfucker. And then, you know, throw my shoot and cool. That's it. You know, I did all this time and, and all that, you know, and you're literally kind of doing something and conquering a fear over and over again for the thrill of it. Does it kind of surprise you that maybe it took so long for you to strike out on your own and go do something and find that happiness? Because it seems like you're from what, granted, this is the first time you and I are talking. This is completely from listening to other interviews and knowing people that have known you for a little while. 
but mm -hmm. it seems like because of your passion for things, it seems to me that it would you would have come to this conclusion a lot faster because of just who you are. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that perspective. I think that um, I think ultimately this is what I was like meant to be doing is doing doing my own thing and uh, kind of doing it on my own terms and representing artists the way that I felt is the right way. But, you know, the reason I went to the first major agency I went to was a company called the agency group. And prior to that, I had done like a small independent thing for a number of years. And, um, and then I went there and they were a very large agency, um, but they were like run more like an independent agency. So it was kind of cool because it was like, you know, it wasn't corporate and like, like, like uh, high pressure structure like that and stuff. But, but at the same time, it was large and you had leverage and, and I learned a lot. I went to do that because it was pretty early in my career and I felt I had a lot to learn and I didn't want to learn it through trial and error. I wanted to, you know, learn this stuff before I made all these mistakes and not damage artist careers, you know, through the process and lose clients and all that. Um, so I was there for 10 years um, at that company. And that company ultimately got acquired by UTA. That's how I ended up there. Um, and when I went there, uh, I was under contract. Like, that's how agent, agent, um, like jobs work basically. Like if you work for an agency, you usually have a contract and you're there for a certain amount of years and then you renew your contract or you leave or whatever. Um, so yeah, I had like a three and a half year contract when I got to UTA and uh, you know, honestly, like I, I felt pretty strongly probably a year and a half in that I was, it wasn't the place for me, but I was under contract. So I think the agency group was, was like, that 10 years was really great for me. And it's kind of what I needed to get my career to ultimately where it went and where it is now. UTA was also a great learning experience because being in that like very large corporate environment, um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about what I don't want my agency to be. Um, and don't get me wrong, like UTA is a you know great agency and there's a lot of great people there. It just wasn't for me. And I don't think it was for my artists you know, like they're, they're a big corporate agency and they want like the big flashy names. And, you know, my roster, a lot of the artists that I love to work with are artists that have great careers, make great livings doing what they do, but they're not on TV and on the radio every second. And, you know, they, they're maybe not household names in terms of like that mainstream, you know, kind of uh, world, but, you know, they're large artists with, with real businesses. And, you know, I think that when you're at agencies like those, you know, they're looking for those big flashy names and it's hard to get support unless you have them. And again, that's nothing against those agencies. It's just what the big Hollywood agencies are. That's how they, that's how they operate. That's how they make a big living is doing, you know, the, the film and TV with the music and kind of putting it all together. And they can only really do that for their like top 1% of clients. But the problem with that for me is that, you know, my clients were, just as much a priority to me as, you know, whatever Post Malone was to UTA. And right. so being somewhere where like, you know, you kind of felt like your artists were like all, almost like, you know, second rate citizens in a way, like it just didn't make sense. So I think the point I'm making long or 
short story long to answer your question, like, I think in order to go out on my own and do sound talent group, I had to experience a lot of the things I did over the previous, you know, 13, 14 years, because that's a lot of what I learned through that time is what I needed to learn. And I needed those skills to successfully run an agency like Sound Talent Group and do it the right way and be able to think about, you know, like how to build it. You know, even though we've been a company only for a little over two years now, you know, we've got over 20 employees and we have, you know, a number of agents that have come from larger agencies that have, you know, come to work here instead of there and, and things like that. And, you know, like, I think that if I'd like gone out on my own earlier, I'm sure I could have done it. And I could have like, you know, just had a, you know, had a, had a career doing that and whatever. Um, but it probably would have been me, maybe one or two other agents, friends, couple assistants, and that's it. Where now I feel like I have the, the, the knowledge and the experience and the skill set to think bigger and really open up a lot more doors for my clients, for my employees, for the, you know, the other agents within the company, um, you know, open up multiple business opportunities, even outside of booking, you know, these are all things I've learned a lot about through all my different experiences. So, yeah, I think, so I think you're right. Like that's kind of ultimately where I needed to be, but I actually feel pretty good. It took as long as it did. Cause I think I, I was able to do this with the experience that I needed to do it the way that I want to do it. If that makes sense. No, it totally does. And I think kind of speaks to, you know, I would say the perception of <laughs> the perception of someone who would go climb a tall building or a rock formation or whatever and be like, that looks great. Going to jump off it now after all that work I just did. Um, I'm getting there. Although not everyone can maybe fly to the top of those things. So maybe you're cutting out some of that, uh, that longer work uh, to get up there. But <laughs> regardless, you know, I think it's one of those things where when you take the fear aspect of it away, which I think applies to business. I think fear is a great motivator to want to succeed and, or more importantly, not fail. Uh, fear of fear of failing will really be a great motivator for a lot of people to do some shit. And I think the thing is, is I think you probably were, have been able to take calculated risks because of what you do in your, your hobbies outside of, you know, work. Mm -hmm. And I think they directly correlate. So where maybe, stepping out to you where you're like it would almost be like flying where you're like the conditions aren't right i could go and i would be fine but the conditions aren't ideal and i know that internally i I probably shouldn't go so i'm not going to i'm not going to put myself in any unnecessary risk and i think that you know once again it kind of informs your your passion and your hobbies has informed maybe how you proceed with your work life yeah I, i think that's a great analogy you know it's like um yeah, when I got into base jumping, I didn't just go up to the top of the building. <laughs> you know, I I trained a lot, I skydived a lot, I learned how to use a parachute. I, you know, you kind of work your way up, and yeah, it's just like that. You know, I think you got to be like, yeah, I try to be methodical about the decisions I make, and not just that's what I want to do, so I'm going to go do it. It's like, okay, if that's what I want to do, how do I get from here to there? What are the steps? How am I going to do it right? So I don't, you know, so I don't falter along the way. And obviously you make mistakes and you learn from them. I'm not saying you don't. Um, But, you know, especially as an agent, like I take the responsibility 
very seriously that like these artists careers are in my hands and they have families, you know, they have wives, husbands, kids. And, you know, if, if I don't, if I don't go into these situations prepared and do my job right, like, like they're going to have trouble putting food on the table for their families. Like that's a, you know, I take that responsibility very seriously. And, and I think that, you know, you have to be methodical about the way you go about these things and you have to be able to advise these artists, right. And you have to know what you're doing. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, we're not doing brain surgery and no one's lives are on the line here, but at the same time, like what we do does affect a lot of people, you know, I mean, it's not just, um, you know, the artists, but they're, you know, their crew and, you know, their, their, um, their teams, their managers, their lawyers, like everyone's, you know, kind of involved in this business and making a living off of, you know, the touring. And, and so our jobs are, we're at the focal point of the, all the touring and, and which is where the majority of the, the income comes from these days, you know, COVID uh, of course, notwithstanding, but um, so yeah, man. I mean, I think I just I don't think it would be um, in my in my interest or the artist's interest to just, you know, haphazardly make these decisions, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, we're a couple of things I kind of wanted to touch on just because I think it's a kind of funny that this happens consistently. But, you know, you had kind of said leading up to this, you're like, hey, by the way, just so you're aware, like, I don't drink. Hopefully that's not a problem. And it's like, no. Um, you know, we don't typically talk about it on the show, but you know, it is something where when we were coming up with the name, you know, I like a good pun. And the thing that everyone was kind of saying about the show is how I get people to kind of open up and have, you know, kind of brutally honest conversations with a stranger, essentially. Um, and my co-host and I do like to drink and all that kind of stuff, but it was a thing where I was like, ah, I like a good pun, something fun, you know, something that will also by when you search it this way we're the first person or first thing that you'll see pop up uh because mm -hmm. i wanted to get on top of like you know seo results and all that kind of shit sure. yeah so it was a thing where it was like you know a little bit of pre-planning into the name although my co-host was like you should call it clickbaity because that's my last name and i was like fuck no no one is coming <laughs> on that show <laughs> but it is a great name and i should use it for something else down the road but you should um it's a thing where, you know, in the last couple of weeks of the show, you know, we had Shannon from Godsmack on, who's now uh, sober for the last, I think he said six years or so. Uh, we've had uh, Maruso from It Dies Today on, who's been sober now for quite a while. And actually, as a result of that, started his own coffee company, which now has a brick and mortar, which is insane to see that uh, journey uh, that he's gone on and stuff like that. So, you yeah. know, just, I feel like it's a thing where it would be not disingenuous of us, but I, I think it's important for us sometimes where, you know, maybe we do talk about, you know, something we're drinking or whatever, but I think there also needs to be for those that maybe are listening to this, that may be struggling with something or whatever to hear stories about sobriety. Um, now I know in talking with you and, and stuff like that, and even in one of your Instagram posts where I forget where you were going, but you brought a, a carton of uh, parliaments with you uh, for somebody, I think you were obviously going to see, but it was a thing where, you know, it's a thing, a thing where it's like, I know, obviously you're straight edge and have been for a very long time. So, you know, I think it's, it's fair that we 
tackle the other side of that on the show at times. And, you know, I think this is a great example of uh, having you kind of talk about mm-hmm. your story to being straight edge and, you know, in being probably in a high stress uh, environment where maybe there are and plenty of opportunities to, to break edge as it is known. Um, so kind of tell us your story about that and how you've uh, maintained over all these years. Yeah. Uh, well, um, when I was, when I was, you know, much younger, um, middle school, high school, stuff like that, I grew up in upstate New York mm-hmm. and, um, I've been, I've been straight edge since I was like 12 years old. Like I've, I've, you know, I've, I've literally never had a sip of alcohol. Um, so when I was growing up in upstate New York during that time, there was a huge straight edge hardcore scene in upstate New York, um, for anyone who was, you know, into, uh, hardcore music. I mean, fuck, it's crazy to think about now, but I guess that was like 25 years ago. Um, you know, we had all the best straight edge hardcore bands, you know, we had, um, in upstate New York, we had one King down, we had earth crisis, we had snap case, we had shy Halud, path of resistance. Um, you know, just, few hours down the road and near Boston, we had Bain, like, you know, like all the straight edge hardcore bands were in that area. And um, so growing up, it was almost like a cultural thing, you know, for me, it was like, I got really into hardcore music. And like, honestly, it was like, kind of just the cool thing to do at the time, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, being straight edge is like the new cool thing. And then, um, but what ended up happening was, you know, as I got a little bit older and got into high school and then like, you know, graduated from high school and stuff, I saw all my friends that I grew up with in that, you know, kind of going to shows with and stuff start to slowly break edge. Um, like almost every single one of them, um, pretty much all of them, except one of my closest friends who's still one of my closest friends. Um, and, you know, I just never, had a desire like at that point i'd seen so many people been around so many people when they were you know drunk or high and it was like always so unappealing like watching it and you know people would be having fun but but it would be like man like i don't really want to be like that and you know i always had you know going back to some of our earlier discussion but i always had like you know, these ideas in my head of like things I wanted to accomplish and like, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. I want to accomplish these things and have these goals. And, you know, I was a lot more focused on that. And I think that like when a lot of people were partying and stuff, you know, I was just like, my head was just in a different place. Not, not, you know, it's not better or worse, right or wrong. It's just like, that's where my head was at. Right. Like I was more focused on, you know, uh, these different things I wanted to do, whether it was getting my pilot's license back then or, um, you know, staying up late and while my friends were drinking, like working on routing a tour or whatever, like those were just, like I said, it's not like I was doing anything right versus them wrong or, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, a lot of my friends who do drink are very successful and, uh, you know, in our business and have achieved great things and stuff. So like everyone has their own way of doing stuff. But for me, like, I just never had a, um, I just, yeah, I just never really had an interest in it. Like, and the more I was around it, the more I saw it, the less interested I got in it, you know, especially as my career went on and I worked with artists who were great, talented people, and saw them go through these crazy downward spirals and have so many struggles 
whether it be drug addiction or, you know, alcohol addiction or whatnot. And a lot of them still struggle with it today. A lot of artists I work with and, you know, and, and I think that that's also like been something that's been cool about my career is because I have been like the one person on most of my artist team that like they can't party with because, mm. you know, most, most, most people in the business, you know, drink or do drugs or whatever. And, um, you know, I think that's also given me a unique relationship with some of the artists who have struggled with that stuff. Cause they can talk to me about, you know, some of their struggles in a different way. Um, cause I'm not trying to get them to go out and party with me and stuff like that. So, <laughs> right. you know, which a lot of other people are. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just a different thing. But, um, you know, I've had people over the years be like, man, you must have so much willpower. You're around it all the time. And like, and honestly, like I have, I'm not, I'm not saying I do or don't have willpower it, but I don't willpower has nothing to do with it because you need willpower to do something that you want to do, but you're trying to get yourself not to do. Right. I don't have any desire to do it. So it takes zero willpower to not <laughs> do it. So I'm not trying to not give myself credit. I'm just making the point that like it really, so I'm not, mean, yeah. Like I'm not like having to like try hard to not drink. Like I, I, I genuinely don't have an interest in it. So it's like, you know, for some people, like they don't have an interest in base jumping. They're not like using willpower to not go jump off a building. Like they just don't want to do it. Right. Like, and that's kind of the same thing for me with, you know, drinking or, you know, doing drugs or whatever. So uh, yeah, that that's kind of my, my story behind, behind that. I do find it kind of interesting that I, mean, I guess I, it totally makes sense when you say it, but it's not something I would have maybe thought of initially in the fact that because of your adverse relationship to the scene that basically you're in by proxy, that you would then kind of be the one people would confide in when they're like, oh man, like I think I need to take a break from this or like I, something needs to change mm -hmm. uh, because you, like you said, you're not in it. You have never been in it. So it's not something, you know, you're able to offer a different perspective or just a different, yeah, just basically a different perspective on it that will allow them to kind of work through their own shit or whatever. So, I mean, that's kind of, A, that's an interesting take. And B, I think it's really commendable to you as a person. Um, I mean, very much like the way that, you know, I've had to address for me that it kind of gets hard for people to come and, you know, I like the fact that people will come to me to tell me things that, you know, are, you know, if they're having problems with something or whatever, but I've also addressed that it's also a problem for me personally, because it's, it's kind of hard to take all that stuff on. Uh, yeah. and then like, well, now what do I do with it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, I, I got tattooed yesterday and I was talking to like my good friend while we were doing or while he was tattooing me, just kind of, you know, like we did it. He was like my first podcast guest. And I was like, you know, I was thinking as I've been going through therapy about the question I asked you where I was like, you know, with shows like Ancestor and all that kind of stuff and everyone having the worst fucking story ever as mm -hmm. to why they're on that show. I was mm -hmm. like, do you feel like you're a cut right therapist? And he was like, yeah, you know, like I was tattooing this lady, you know, whatever the hell it was. And I, you know, I was like, oh, you know, what made you? She was older and didn't have any tattoos. So I was like, oh, it made you finally decide to get, you know, tattoo. And she was like, oh, I left my abusive husband for the who I've been in this relationship for 25 plus years. And, you know, it was going into detail about all this shit. And you're just like, oh, yeah. And then you, you hear like some of the like you. And as I kind of was telling my therapist, I was like, it made me that made me realize that like for him, maybe it makes me think of that you see that real evil exists in people. When you hear these stories of what people have done to other people that 
it's not just a story you hear on TV or whatever. It's someone who literally lived through some really wild, horrible shit that mm -hmm. someone would either deem them not valuable enough to treat them that way or whatever. But it's one of those where it puts the real life monsters into perspective of this shit really exists. Yeah. And here's, you know, an example of this. And then she kind of had made the comment, uh, my therapist that is, that was like, but maybe it's same with you. When people come to you, you're giving them a chance to break away from that, to give them a piece of themselves that they haven't had for a very long time and to get, you know, over those things and, and give them confidence in who they are now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's also another perspective of it. I'd never really kind of thought of, but yeah. yeah uh, it's kind of interesting, and uh, I was going to ask, when you started uh, STG, did you go get a tattoo to commemorate it? <laughs> uh, I have not, um, not because um, I'm pretty positive I'll end up with the STG logo at some point. Um, I just haven't been able to get tattooed in a while, and um, the last few times I have, I've got... Um, I started a big like back piece a few years ago and at this point it's just outlined. So like the last few times I've seen my artists, we've been working on that, but uh, yeah, I'm sure at some point here I'll be getting the STG logo, uh, you know, one of these sessions for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty relieved. I only have a few more pieces on my leg. Although I was like, are we doing my inner thigh piece next? Cause that would seem to make sense. It's the one of the last big spots on my leg left. <laughs> He's like, no, we'll save that for last. I was like, yeah, yeah. it all sucks, oh. man. Getting tattooed is brutal. <laughs> yeah, actually, the one I got yesterday wasn't bad. It was because it's like right on the shin down by like my foot. So it's like that nice sweet spot where you don't really feel a whole mm -hmm. lot. Then the other yeah. outsides of it, oh, that was kind of gnarly. So I'm glad like the leg's almost done. But I had even made the comments like, yeah, I think when we're done with this leg, let's just do the back, even though I know that's going to suck terribly, too. So I don't, yep. like, laying, I don't like sitting still. You know? <laughs> laying on my stomach is even worse. So I know all of that's going to be not fun. Nah, it's, yeah, none of it's fun, but <laughs> yeah, that's the process, man. It's brutal. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, something I kind of wanted to bring up, the, the last couple two questions I have for you. So sure. I was thinking, you know, obviously, for those who don't know, you're a big Iron Maiden fan. Yeah. And a big parallel between Iron Maiden and you is that Bruce is a, is a pilot as well. <laughs> How close through your connections have you ever been to being able to co-pilot with Bruce? Or is that even something you would want to do? So um, I've got a lot of like one degree of separation with Iron Maiden connections. Um, I have friends at the company that manages Maiden. I was Bruce's, I was the agent for Bruce's son's band for a number of years when they were together. Um, so, you know, like, so I've had a lot of opportunities, um, you know, kind of to, to be around those guys, but they're like the one band I've never really had an interest in getting to know because I'm such a huge fan. Like, you know, I've seen over the years, you know, my experiences in the business, like you learn pretty quickly, like the way that people are on a personality level really has an effect on the way you listen to the, their music. Mm -hmm. And and it goes both ways. Like when you meet people that are really cool, like it, you, you like their music that much more because you, you know, you like, you want them to win and, you know, you, you're, you're like, you really uh, want to support them. Um, but the flip side's true too. And I'm such a huge fan of theirs that like, they're the one band I just haven't wanted to ruin it at all, even though I have heard they're really amazing people and never heard anything, but but great things about them. Um, I did meet a few of the guys once kind of by accident. Um, which was kind of a funny story. Uh, I was, I went to see them play 
and I flew myself up to the show. It was a couple hours from San Diego where I live. And I flew up and after the show, I, you know, I went back to the airport to fly home and the band was there. They were flying out and, you know, they, they had the next day was an off day or whatever. And they were like, I guess a bunch of them were going to Vegas. So I went to the bathroom just to, you know, go take a piss or whatever before I was going to the plane to leave. And they're all in there changing. Like, um, not all of them. They were like, I guess three of the guys were in there. And, you know, I was, I walk in, I'm wearing an Iron Maiden shirt and I'm like, I have to take a piss. And I'm, they all look at me like, I could tell they're thinking like this fucking kid, like followed us to the airport. Like, you know, I could tell they're like, you know, annoyed, like, you know, this fan is just like following us. So I was just like, great show guys. And then um, they all just kind of looked at me and I left the bathroom and I went out and I was with my wife and my friend and his wife. And, you know, I was like, ah, oh, Maiden's in the bathroom. So my buddy goes in the bathroom and he like, isn't really a Maiden fan. He's like a programmer, doesn't have tattoos. <laughs> he starts talking to Adrian, one of their guitar players and, you know, whatever they walk out of the bathroom. I hear them talking and I hear Adrian be like, Oh, what do you, you know, what are you doing here? And my buddy, I heard him saying that as they were walking around the corner, like, Oh, my friend's actually a huge Iron Maiden fan. I just saw your show and he's also a pilot. So we flew up for the show and now we're flying back. And as he tells them that they turn the corner and I kind of see Adrian's face realize like, Oh man, that, that kid that we were just kind of rude to, like he's just flying home. Like, and it's a coincidence. He's not, he didn't like follow us here. So it was really funny. He felt super bad. I could tell he came up to me and was like overcompensating and was like being so nice and was like, Hey man, like, you know, I just met your buddy and like heard you flew up for the show. That's super cool. And, you know, was asking me about flying and everything. Um, so that was really cool. Like, so yeah, we, we got to talk for a few minutes and, um, but I've never like tried to fly with Bruce or anything like that or had any, you know, uh, aspirations to really spend too much time with them. I mean, you know, if I had the opportunity, like in a more personal way, like, you know, go meet Bruce at the airport and go fly. Like that'd be, that'd be pretty damn cool. But, um, but yeah, I've just always kind of wanted to keep, keep those, you know, that one separate. Um, I'm just such a huge fan. Like I have their limited edition pinball machine. Like I've got like over 50 maiden shirts. I have all like the Eddie toys, like, you know, so yeah, I just don't want to like, you know, ruin that <laughs> no absolutely it, it's kind of funny like um eddie was sort of the inspiration for the podcast look when we when we changed i was like i want something that we can change over time maybe every like year or two or something like that we change it's the same graphic it's the same person but he becomes like eddie where it's like every album cover he's different something right. changes about him and i was like and that would be fun and could lead to fun like limited edition merch drops and stuff like that but like the focal point was more like it'd be cool to have something to where eventually even if we don't have the name on it you see the thing and you know it's ours yeah. um then it was just like okay like let's do something cool and fun and even though i'm not the biggest iron maiden fan at all i can respect the, the career they've had and the legacy and in all the bands they've influenced obviously yeah. um it was just something where like they were kind of a big influence from a marketing and branding standpoint for me. Um, but it is one of those things where when you kind of get to potentially meet some of your, your, uh, your idol, I don't want to say idols. It sounds kind of tacky when you get to meet someone that you've been a fan of for a very long time, but you share a common passion. That's not the norm where you're like, Oh my God, you're so-and-so from this band. And Oh, let me tell you about all the things I love with this. But instead of that, be like, here's a very niche thing you and I share in common let's go do this thing and just kind of nerd out about this. And to me, yeah. I feel like that would be the thing given how close proximity wise, maybe 
industry you are to Bruce that maybe you would be like, hey, like through some connections, we're going to go rent a helicopter and take turns flying around wherever the fuck we decide to go fly around at. And just mm-hmm. for you know a couple hours, that's the thing. And it's more of a bonding experience as people. And I think yeah. to me, to me, it would seem like that would be something maybe you would have tried to have facilitated at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, that would be awesome. And Austin, the his son who I used to work with, like used to always uh, try to introduce us. In fact, I went to an Iron Maiden show with Austin and he was like, oh, like, come meet my dad. And I was like, no, that's cool. Like, I just, you know, I, I really just was, um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, like it it's it's like something that's like sacred. You know what I mean? I just kind of want to I don't want to want to ruin it. Um cuz <laughs> you know, you're in the business long enough you kind of get to meet everyone and um you know, and that's one that I still want to remain like special, you know? Absolutely. Um I'd be remiss if I didn't get to ask you the Coolio story that Dewey told me to ask you about. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how appropriate that is for uh the the listeners um i mean i'm literally wearing a bone thug shirt so at least it's it's on topic well well, the first time i met with coolio um man that's that's a crazy story Uh, (laughs) i want to be clear that all i'm telling you is what he did these aren't my words these aren't my okay uh you know what i mean to the story yeah that's all i am um I met with him. He was looking for a new agent. This was like, man, this must have been like 10 years ago. I was his agent for a little bit after after this meeting. Um, He ended up deciding to work with me. And then I actually decided to stop working with him like a year later when he got arrested for crack possession at LAX. And it became this huge like PR thing. And I was like, ah, this is, I don't think I need to be in the middle of this. But um, yeah, he poured... (laughs) I told Dewey the story like the other day. So it was fresh on his mind, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Coolio was bragging to me about all the tail he gets as mm. he puts it. And um, yeah, he had a bottle of water that I'd given him when he came into the office and he asked me to put out my hand and he poured it on my hand and then told me that's how wet he makes pussies. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to you, so I sent Dewey that that clip I sent you earlier, or when yeah, we started yeah. off. So I sent him that. I was like, dude, since I know I was talking to Dave, like I've just had this this scene and this quote uh, in my head. And then we we're going back and forth with it. He's like, oh, what movie is that from? And he's like, oh, I didn't make it past like the Ben Stiller shitting his pants scene. Um, I was like, oh, it's a it's a good movie. Like I like it. Philip Seymour Hoffman just playing a completely like loose cannon character. It's it's funny. And then I was making the comment. I was like, but recently, like my other favorite Ben Stiller scene, like Ben Stiller has great quotes, but they're not necessarily his. It's somebody else in the movie that has a great fucking quote. Like, you know, uh, beat the parents. I got nipples. Great. Can you milk me? Had yeah. nothing to do with Ben Stiller, but it's a Ben Stiller movie. So this one was the, you know, the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, white chocolate. And he's like just a terrible basketball player. Um and then the scene I, I played earlier, but I was like, my other one is uh, the scene between Jerry and Ben, his dad uh, from uh, Heartbreak Kid. And it literally uh-huh. op- opens the movie. And he's like, are you out there crushing pussy? And I was like, <laughs> just the concept of crushing pussy as a phrase just makes me laugh every fucking time. And the fact that it's Jerry Stiller doing it, and he has that like head is like 
enunciation to it where he's like, you out there crushing pussy? And it, <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? Like, what an absurd... Like, I can't imagine being in a writer's room and then just being like, you know what's going to be fucking great? Crushing pussy. Or like the story of someone probably being like, so I had this friend and like he would come in and he's like, all right, guys, we're going to go out there and just crush some pussy tonight. Like, you know, when we go out to the club or something like that. And it's just like, ew. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. fucking Jerry ew. And he, uh, Seinfeld, his role. Oh. It's so good. If you follow uh, Costanza Grams on Instagram, they posted that like outtake uh, f- <laughs> with between him and Elaine, and uh, it was uh, George and the girl that I think is actually from that '70s show is the the sister, but I can't remember her name in real life. Um, and they're at like what appears to be like a precinct or like some kind of a lobby or something, and he's doing that thing of like, "You saying you want a piece of me?" But like it's the outtakes and like a. Uh, Lu- Julie Lua Dreyfez or whatever is just like yeah. cracking up. Like, there's, oh, it's, I've been playing that so much. My wife hates Seinfeld, doesn't think it's funny. Um, it's, it's really a bummer. Same with like Frasier. I was just telling a friend, uh, I had a really great pitch for a Frasier reboot. You should also know my wife and my friends are downstairs and they've been hanging out the whole time. And I heard them go silent when I told the Coolio story. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I've told all of them that story before. So that's, well, yeah. uh, I guess that's a great, uh, a great segue to uh, wrap this up. Um, so you can go tell that story and get some more laughs out of it. Um, where can everyone find you or whatever you would like to plug? Uh on the on your socials or whatever yeah when uh well when are you going live with this all right so i just dropped the chat episode like a couple hours ago uh dewey will be next and then you so it'll be two weeks from now okay great um well then a great thing to mention um would be on because on february 4th we're announcing the relaunch of velocity records Mm. and very excited we're announcing a bunch of signings um so i would say Check out velocityrecords.com for sure. That would be uh, that would be really cool. There's a lot of great great bands and great new music we're going to be announcing and putting out, and everything from new bands you've never heard of that we're really excited to share with you, um, on up to old bands that a lot of people will know and are putting out new music. That would explain why you're going to be on Pure Pleasure again, then, because Dewey said he you had something that you were doing that hasn't been announced yet. So I guess that's what it is. That is it. Yep. <laughs> Well, thank you again for uh, taking the time. Uh, It was a pleasure getting to talk to you and uh, someone I've long wanted to for uh, a long time, but just uh, had no real connection on how to do it or would even think that you would want to just because it seems like uh, you don't necessarily do a whole lot of these. So very much appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your uh, your day. And uh, I can't wait for everyone else to laugh downstairs about that story. Sounds good, man. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. So that was my chat with Dave Shapiro, again, owner of Velocity Records, which just uh, relaunched. And as you kind of heard, the little exclusive sort of, uh, we're posting this a couple of days after the announcement. So it's not a world exclusive, but uh, this is a lot of fun talking with Dave. And also, speaking of last week's guest again, uh, Dewey just put an episode of Pure Pleasure Podcast out with Dave. Kind of going over more in depth about the Velocity Records uh, signings and so forth. So uh, if you didn't get enough Dave on here or you think he's really interesting and you're looking for more content with him, head on over there. Um, Yeah, other than that, though, I I actually really enjoyed this chat and I kind of liked I really... (laughs) I really like that Coolio story. As as terrible of me as that is to admit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, it's not like... 
it's not like anybody's ever surprised anymore at, 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 as we dig more and get more into your brain as far as how, how, um, how it works and your, and your preferences. And I, I enjoy that because I feel like I'm just kind of pegged as only liking one thing. <laughs> so, uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of nice to, to get your, um, unique, uh, preferences out there for the world to see. I mean, I just, I, it was really funny. I and mean, even listening back to it when, you have Dave going, did you hear that? Everyone that was that's here at my house got real quiet when I just told that story. <laughs> right, right. So it's just one of those things where uh, I feel like that's a, a really funny way to end the, the podcast there. Um, and, you know, another fun story. Uh, you know, Dewey had some uh, last week. I definitely know our next episode. There's there's not a whole lot of necessarily funny things. So uh, I guess it's good we had some uh, lighthearted fun these last two weeks. And uh, I want to thank Dave again. Uh, the dude is just a a machine, honestly. I mean, he climbs things to jump off them and then goes and does it some more. And then, you know, flies planes and learns about that and runs a really successful business and does all these other things and hangs on bathrooms with Iron Maiden. Right, right, right. <laughs> what? Sorry. That was a good reaction. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Did you get high all of a sudden, too? That's real life, folks. What if I just didn't edit any of these, either? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> just do whatever you want, man. I'm just, I'm just here for all the cash. <laughs> yeah, all of it much cash and Scrooge McDuck my way through my podcast cash <laughs> Scrooge McDuck <laughs> jump into my big pile of podcast cash <laughs> even as a little kid I was like would that hurt if you just jumped into a giant swimming pool full of coins it's, like, it's one Bad. It's it's a cartoon and I shouldn't be grossed out, but when Peter does it from Family Guy and is like breaks his or his bone comes popping out, I was like, oh god, that's so gross, but so fucking funny. And then he's spitting out coins like it's water. It's like, oh, enjoy that lead poisoning, you fucking Scrooge. Did we ever figure out if Darkling Duck and all of them are all related somehow? I mean, they're all ducks. I mean, other than that, like, are they in a, <laughs> are they somehow? Is that like a duck family? Uh. So I believe Darkwing Duck is related to um, Donald and Scrooge and all of them, but like because like Launchpad, they because yeah. Launchpad works with Darkwing Duck as well as Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. So there there was some crossover there, I believe. Hmm. I mean, because Darkwing Duck was basically a spinoff of Ducktales, essentially. Yeah. Well, this is a really important thing. I'm glad that we hashed out tonight. <laughs> This is life changing. You should just throw. You should just throw this on at the end of the uh, the end of the episode. Just be like, and here's uh, Dan and John's dissection of the Ducktales Darkwing Duck relationship. What'll be real fun is uh, maybe that's our new spin for our Wednesday show. It'll be the start of highly entertaining or highly go. watchable, and I'll just get high, and then we'll just bullshit about whatever. There it is. We're like, oh, how do you guys feel about BC Ridge guitars? Right. <laughs> So with all that aside, I know this episode was a little bit longer and and kind of freeform, but uh, if you would like to keep up with Velocity Records, uh, again, they just launched uh, this week as of when you're listening to this. You can find them on Facebook at Velocity Rock, Instagram at Velocity Records, and Twitter at Velocity Rock, uh, or just go to VelocityRecords.com. Everything you need to know is over there. Uh, You know, I don't even know if this is a thing, but I know it used to be, but maybe, you know, if you're in a band, maybe there's a place for you to submit your music and try to get on this awesome label. Yeah. I mean that, that this is kind of the kind, kind of the avenue to do it. So just completely flood, dude, with with all your stuff, <laughs> and, and stop, uh, stop doing it to us. <laughs> 
And that is true. If you would like to keep up with Dave, you can find Dave at Instagram and Twitter at Dave Velocity and uh, keep up with everything going on with Sound Talent Group over at SoundTalentGroup.com. And Dan can tell you where he can be found managing his sound talents. By sound talents, huh? Well, uh, my sound and video talents, uh, you can find me on YouTube at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find me on Twitch.tv. And what was my name on there again? Uh, I think it was, oh yeah, Discuss Metal Dan. Uh, So yeah, you can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion and Discuss Metal at DiscussMetal.com or you can send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com and uh, I will also impart on you my creative knowledge of naming things. (laughs) And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, simple enough, BruceSpeakPod.com landing page for literally everything you need to know about where to find us and how to get in contact with us. No need to say anything more. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Do all those fun things. Every podcast tells you why that's important. I don't feel like we need to tell you. It's pretty much self-explanatory at this point. And another point we always like to make is ensuring that you are supporting our sponsors. Head on over to rockabilia.com where they have over 500,000 items in their online store. Everything is 100% officially licensed through the band. So not only are you supporting Rockabilia and the podcast, but you're also supporting the bands that you love. That's a win, win, win. I'll take them wherever I can get them. And if you use our code brew, you get 10% off your total purchase order. So that's another win. We're like fucking DJ Khaled over here with T-Pain. All we do is win. That's that's the only thing that I do. I don't know about you. I want to thank Rockabilia for coming on and supporting the show. Also want to thank On Point Palmade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point. Use our code BSP15 and get 15% off your total purchase order. And last but not least is The Bean Bastard. Head to TheBeanBastard.com. Pick up some delicious coffee, some coffee cups, some coffee scrubs. If you like coffee and want it in or on your body, that's where you go. They'll hook you up. Definitely need it on and in. Yeah, there you go. Get that drip. Mm, I love it. I'll call you Mr. Coffee. Mm, Coffee. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. We'll see you next week with Lee McKinney of Born of Osiris. That's right. We will. I'll be there. Probably. (laughs)